Well, if you take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah chapter 17, Jeremiah chapter 17. While you're turning there, I just wanted to let you know that I needed the, the song service this evening. So for all of you who participated, thank you so much. It's been a blessing to my heart. Thank you, Nathaniel, for that offertory. We're going we're gonna to talk about something that I will confess is something that I am still learning to do. Something that even I have confessed to some of you that I need your help in prayer for, uh, and that is trusting in the Lord. We'll get to that here in a second, but take your Bibles again, turn to Jeremiah 17. The book of Jeremiah is a discourse given to God's covenant people during a 50-year ministry of the prophet Jeremiah. It's really a book, the book is an indictment of the children of Israel, and in it, Jeremiah declares God-given consequences for his children breaking the covenant with God. Now, I will admit, it is a hard book to read, a hard book to study, and a hard book to apply, because it's a book of chastening. And nobody likes chastening, as Hebrews talks about, but it is meant to help us. And so I trust we will learn much from Jeremiah 17 this evening. Three things. Three things we aren't supposed to talk about in polite conversation. I wonder, can you name those three things? I'll give you just a few seconds. I'm guessing we probably can. Uh, But have you ever wondered why religion, why money, and why politics are off limits? Why are they to be avoided? Well, I believe on one hand, they are very polarizing. We see the differences between ourselves when discussing these things. But not only are they polarizing, I would submit these things are also very telling. What do I mean by that? Well, when we discuss politics, religion, and money, we reveal our our priorities, we reveal our pursuits, and we reveal our allegiances. In these subjects, we can't hide from the world what we are about. Why is that? Well, because it is a revelation of what we trust in. People get a good picture of who we are by observing what team we pull for. If you pull for the Lions, you will have been sadly disappointed in their gameplay today. But there are more important things. Let's continue. Here's what's fascinating, though. God doesn't shy away from these things. In fact, he takes these things head on. And tonight's passage is no exception. In it, God will declare a test that can be taken by us, his reader, to determine through fruit what you are trusting in. Why does he do this? Well, he does this because his people had exchanged trust in him for trust in themselves. They had forsaken him and instead were trusting in man's wisdom, provision, power to live this life. Can I say we are tempted to do the same thing? And it really comes down to this. Man trusts man. It's kind of how it it kind of plays out for the fallen condition of every man. And God provides a way for us to know, even as his children, if we are continuing to fall back into our old tendencies of trusting man or are we trusting in him. Now in the context, there was a three-way struggle for power in the ancient world. 
It was between Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon, and that all that, that tug-of-war, if you will, converged around the small nation of Judah. And Jeremiah declares to the people of Judah that they are at a crossroads of sorts. He says very clearly, you can keep trusting man, but that hasn't gone well for you, or you can trust God. But here's the deal, there are consequences for each one of those paths. And let's look today, tonight, at those two options and use the consequences as a test to determine who we are trusting in tonight. I will remind you that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? As Jeremiah 17, 9 says. That won't be our text, but keep that in mind because oftentimes we will trick ourselves into thinking, oh yeah, I trust the Lord. I'm trusting the Lord right now. When in reality, we are looking to our own ingenuity. We are looking to our own trust. And so let's take a test this evening. We'll begin in verse 5. So Jeremiah 17, verse 5. says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and, he, and shall not see when good cometh but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. We'll stop there and we'll begin to understand first that if you trust in man, you will be cursed. Cursed. That's a very harsh word. But let's break them down a little bit so that we can understand what is the end of a person who trusts in man. Let's begin by asking the question, what does trusting in man look like? He says very clearly right there, cursed be the man that trusteth in man. What does this trust look like? Well, I would submit that it means to look to, to depend upon, to give priority to man's strength, ability, power, and wisdom. So let me say that again. It means to look to, to depend upon, and even to give priority to man's strength, his ability, his power, and his wisdom. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we often trust ourselves. That's trusting man. But there may even be times where we trust other men outside of our, uh, our person. What does that look like? Well, I would remind you that the children of Israel have not had a good track record in trusting God versus trusting man. And I will remind you, uh, at the very outset of the kingly, uh, the time of the kings in uh, Jewish history, they had a desire, the desire of Israel was to have a king. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, go over to 1 Samuel chapter 8, because in it we see a very telling right out at the, at the outset as to who these, the children of Israel were trusting in. So 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8, and then we will pick up, we'll pick up, let's see, in verse, uh, verse, I, I had it and I just lost it, um, verse 10, okay? And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked him of a king. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. Samuel's trying to remind them of what is going to happen. He will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties. He will set them to ear his ground 
and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war, instruments of, and of, of his chariots. He will take your daughters to his confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and all your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your good, goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep and ye shall be his servants. And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Verse 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, Nay but we will have a king over us, that, he, or that we also may be like unto all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. That was their heart. So who were the children of Israel right from the, out, right from the start? Who were they tempted to trust in? Man. And even after Samuel tried to warn them, even after God revealed how that uh, was a slight to God himself, the children of Israel said, nay, we will have a king over us. He will lead us. Remember, in a, in a theocracy, God was leading them and giving victory. But they then decided, no, the king will give us The king will judge us, verse 20, the king will judge us, go out before us and fight our battles. And so the children of Israel began with the kingly uh, time frame, the kingly part of their, their history, and they wanted to be just like the other nations. They saw God and his leadership as deficient. They trusted in man to judge them, lead them, bring victory for them. But if you remember their history, consider how those kings led them astray from God. Think about Jeroboam in the northern kingdom that caused the people to worship falsely by erecting the high places that were the scourge of Israel for generations. In the immediate context, the people wanted to run to Egypt to find allies against Babylon. For us, how we look to man's wisdom to fix our problems in secular humanistic counseling, think about that. Or we place an inordinate trust in maybe things like good grades or jobs or doctors or politicians or maybe our own wisdom to fix our problems. It's fascinating. When we do that, there is, uh, maybe it's an unintended consequence, but there is a consequence to that. And that is trusting God is neglected. If you're going to trust man, you will not trust God. Think about David and Goliath. David came to fight Goliath in the strength and name of God. And God honored that zeal and trust in him by delivering Goliath into his hand. See, we need to understand that when we trust in man, it looks like depending upon, giving priority to man's strength, ability, and power. And then the other part of it is, secondly, trusting in man leads us away from God. Look at the verse in Jeremiah chapter 17. And head back over to that. Jeremiah chapter 17. The end of verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and then lastly, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. 
Trusting in man will pull you away from our God. What do I mean by that? Well, let's think for a second. Who are some of the most idolatrous, wicked, wicked people in the promised land? If you say names like the Amalekites and the Philistines, the Hittites, yes, all of those come to mind. But sadly, God's own people were also considered among the worst idolaters in the promised land. In fact, Jeremiah 2 states that they sought gods made with hands and imaginations. And God declares in verse 29 of Jeremiah 2, says, Wherefore will you plead with me? You have all transgressed against me, says the Lord. See, trusting in man will lead us away from God. And it might be slow, a slow process, but it will happen. It took over 400 years for the children of Israel to continually walk away from God. Man's source of trust was manifested. It was shown and it was proven. They trusted in man and it led to idolatry and forsaking God. It was true when Jeremiah wrote it. And can I say it it is true and can be true in today's world. You will be able to see what man trusts in by the way they live. It will be manifested. If you trust in man, if you look to man and depend on him, then you will inevitably walk away from God. But what does the curse look like? Maybe a person has walked away from God. What does their life look like? Well, it is a life that resembles a tumbleweed or a scrubby shrub in the desert. And that's where verse 6 talks about. So verse 6 of Jeremiah 17. For he, the person who, who walks away from God, who trusts in man, for he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. What is true of those who are cursed, those who have walked away from God? Well, first off, he shall be anxious and without rest. The verse says, verse 6, he shall be like a heath in the desert, so a tumbleweed. They don't have any foundation. They don't have anything that holds them. And then... Later on it says, and he shall, uh, he shall not see when good cometh. They don't see or they don't grasp when good is even being given to them. Think about this. We are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. Yet we have some of the highest instance, instances of anxiety and depression. Why? I believe it's because we trust in man. To the point where we don't even see the good that God has given to us. Think about this. In our culture, Thanksgiving has almost almost all but disappeared. It's been replaced by Black Friday and all the consumerism of the day. And in essence, we skip over the recognition of what our God has done for us. And then what's the consequence? We're anxious. And we're full of care. Worried about what's happening next without actually even seeing when God gives us that grace, that unmerited favor. So what does the curse look like? First off, he shall be anxious and without rest. He shall not see when good cometh. But what else is true? The verse continues, he shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. Secondly, we need to see that if you begin to trust man, 
you will become more and more barren over time. You will inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. That means there's no sustenance to bring forth fruit. You literally dry up. His wisdom is foolishness, man's wisdom. His resources are not endless as much as we would like to think that they are. He is, in comparison to the fountain of living waters, a mud puddle that dries up and disappears. Can I ask, what has your spiritual fruit looked like recently? Is it vibrant? Is it fresh? Are you parched spiritually? Perhaps it's because you are trusting in man, maybe in yourself, rather than God to bring sustenance and vitality. So you will be barren. That's not all. Continue on. Verse 6, it says, He shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. We need to see that as we trust in man, we will become further and further isolated. They are isolated in a salt land and not inhabited. Trusting in man is a lonely place to dwell. For the believer, the biggest indication of trouble is when God's people don't come to be with God's people, but instead isolate themselves. Now let me be clear, this this is not isolation for for doing or standing for righteousness. Because that can bring about isolation. But if you're standing for righteousness, then you and God are, God is with you and, and he is strengthening you. This is isolation because you're trusting in man. And, and that's, that's very clearly laid out here. Being a loner is a litmus test for trusting in man or fearing man. Or maybe trusting in yourself for that fulfillment. And it's interesting, as I am a youth pastor and as I watch teenagers... When I see a teenager who once previously was active in youth group begin to not be active in youth group, I have a red flag that flies up real fast. And the teens know, and I've made the commitment to them, that one of the things that I want to do is I want to be a chaser of those people. Like I want to go and say, please, come back. You need to come back. This is for your good. You need to be active in and with the people of God and the things of God. If you trust in man, though, you will become more and more isolated. It's a salt land. It's not inhabited. There's no one else. There's no infrastructure for help. There's no way for growth. And so being a loner is a litmus test. You might say, well, Pastor, I don't feel like being close to God's people, or I don't feel like doing... In that case, I would say, well, tell your feelings to kind of be quiet and and preach to yourself. You need to be active. You need to not trust in man. You need to get your eyes back on God. So trusting in man is a lonely place to dwell. It's not a pretty picture. Can you tell? Verses 5 and 6 make it clear that you will be cursed if you are trusting in man. Okay, that's the bad news. Let's not stay there, shall we? Let's Let's get to the positive. What will happen if instead of trusting man, you trust in God? I will say at the outset, this is going to sound very familiar, probably sounds a lot like Psalm chapter 1. That's because it will sound like Psalm chapter 1. 
there's a lot that is kind of overlapping between these two passages. But in that, I still want us to stay with the ideas that, that Jeremiah is, is talking about. Let's pick up verse 7. It says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So if you trust God, you will be blessed. What does the word blessed mean? It means, as we probably know, happy, content, joyful. So if you trust in the Lord, the promise is one of blessing. But let me ask, just like we asked, what does it mean or what does it look like to trust in man? Let's ask the same question here. What does it look like to trust in the Lord? Well, let me say at the outset, trust is an active state of mind and action. I think sometimes we think of trust and it's just kind of one of those buzzwords that we say, but do we really know what that looks like? Well, I guess maybe a, an indication of trust would be, or an example of trust, can I put it that way, is if you were to go and to sit in the pew you just sat in. So if we were to all stand up, you don't have to do that, but if we were all to stand up and we were to do something and then I were to say, thank you, you may be seated, you probably would have not too many thoughts about that pew holding you up. You trust in that pew. Why? Well, because you have a confident expectation in that pew. And so with that in mind, let's go back to our text and remember that trusting is connected to confident expectation, and it's laid out in this, this verse as hope. Verse 7, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. What does it look like to trust in the Lord? Well, first off, at the outset, he has hope in the Lord. And hope in, in the Bible is defined as confident expectation. So God is his confidence. He relies on God. He looks to God. He believes that God is able to sustain and give wisdom simply because God has done that before. I find it fascinating that in the book of Jeremiah, God speaks to the history of his work and his people often. He keeps going back and saying, I need you to remember. I need you to remember. Go back. Think about, think about how I have cared for you. Think about how I have taken and, and protected you and how I have given you this land. And he goes and he re recounts how God has worked. Do you take confidence in what God has done in your life? Not in who we are. Not in our our worthiness, but in what God has done. We can be confident of God's mercies, his faithfulness, his goodness. They are new every morning, as the book of Jeremiah talks about. Why? Because that is who he was, that is who he is, and yes, that is who he will be. We can be confident in our God. Are you confident in him this evening? It's interesting, sometimes our circumstances cause us to doubt some of those basic things. Things that we would normally stand up and proclaim just out loud, but when difficulty comes, 
in our heart, we start to doubt and we start to ask, Lord, are you really in control? Lord, do you really, do you really love me? Lord, look at all the struggles I'm going through. I, and our confidence in the Lord wanes. What is a person who trusts in the Lord? Well, he is one who relies on God. He looks to God. God is his confidence. And then as, as part of hope, confident expectation, God is his expectation. He waits for God. He shows faith that God will work for our good and his glory. Those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, as Hebrews talks about. He doesn't rely on his heart or his bank or his connections. Instead, he pursues and he pushes towards God at all times. He doesn't rush ahead, but he is intentionally attentive to both the things of God and to God himself. I find it interesting that if you were to take a survey of, uh, of churches in America and you were to look at the attendance records, I find it fascinating that one of the, the, the lowest attended, attended services is usually a prayer meeting. I believe that's very telling. Because in prayer, that is our moments when we say, Lord, I am, I am totally dependent on you. I am fully expecting you to work. You are my only hope. And for the fact that the people of God don't come to pray, that means that they have now decided I can do it on my own. I got this, Lord, is what they say. So God is his confidence. If you trust in the Lord, you'll be blessed. If you trust in the Lord, it will look like God will be your confidence. God will be a faith-filled expectation. You will sit and wait for him. So that is what it looks like to trust in the Lord. Do you trust in him that way? What will happen if you do? Here's the wonderful consequence of trusting in the Lord. What does it look like to be blessed? Or blessed? In verse 8, he lays that out. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, Neither shall ye cease or cease from yielding fruit. Very quickly, what does it look like to be blessed? First off, he will be stable. He is grounded. He lays out, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers. He'll be stable. He shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river. For the one who trusts in God, he is grounded. His roots run deep, bringing support and steadiness to his life. He is able to rely on God for help, and he's not thrown by his circumstances or distracted by other sources of so-called sustenance. His needs are met by the fountain of living waters, as Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 says. So he will be stable. What else is true? He will have vitality. He shall not see when the heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green. He shall not be careful in the year of drought. The struggles of life will not overshadow him. When the heat of trouble comes, he will navigate those difficulties without care. And that word care can be translated as anxiety. Let me be clear. I don't want you to walk away and think that this is a health and wealth sermon. That's not what I'm saying. 
But what this is, is navigating difficulty successfully. Allowing God to grow us and transform us through, through difficulty into a person who trusts God and trusts that God is able to protect and to guide and to establish and to give fruit. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he what? Trusteth in thee. So he will be stable. He will have vitality. What else is true right there at the end? Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. He will be fruitful. Trusting and living for God is what we were made to do as humans. We were engineered for this. To trust in our maker. And when we trust God and live for him, we can expect to see progress. We can expect to see growth and fulfillment. What you reap, you will sow. And if you follow after God and follow and pursue him and trust him, then God makes it clear that you will be fruitful. For the believer, progressive sanctification is the reality. It's not just expected, but it is an experienced and manifested thing, reality, to the world around us. So what does it look like to be blessed? He'll be stable. He'll have vitality. He will be fruitful. So to wrap things up this evening and to drive it home, I want us to pick on one of those three things that I said at the beginning that you're not supposed to talk about. So we're going to talk about one of those things. Uh, We're going to talk about our election history, just for a second. Over the last few years, as I have been watching, I believe that one of our biggest indications that our country has completely walked away from God and is instead trusting in man is because of our elections. Now, you might say, what do you mean by that? Well, over the last few elections, there have been many who have cast their ballots for people based off of their race, based off of their gender, based off of their affiliation. And let me be clear, while I believe in and encourage all to be active in voicing your convictions through the ballot box, I would caution us all to avoid descending into an almost religious support for a candidate. Why? Because I believe our passage tonight reveals the danger of that pursuit. Among other pursuits, but especially in this area. Beloved, let me be clear. Man is untrustworthy. He lacks ability to help you. He will fail you. Look at the headlines. Look at our Congress, even what is happening in the House of Representatives right now. Our doctor's offices, and yes, even sometimes in our churches. We see the world around us filled with unthankful, anxious, depressed, lethargic people. And what's really sad is there are Christians who are living the same kind of lives. See, the reality is that people trust in man. We looked at that tonight. We looked at that test tonight. What are your results? Are you trusting man or God? What are your priorities manifest? Are you living a a barren or a blessed life this evening? It's interesting. In a moment, we're going to calm our hearts. We're going to quiet our, our minds, and we're going to seek to remember the one we trust to take our sins away and to grant to us eternal life. We will admit 
probably all of us here, we must trust him for our salvation. But at the same time, the temptation is to neglect to learn of him, to pursue him, or to prioritize the things he prioritizes. We almost become like a Christian atheist. We live without Christ at the center. He saved me, but we, are, we have forsaken him, and oftentimes we trust our resources for protection, care, and fulfillment. I'm sure all of us want to be that blessed person of, chapter, of verse 8. We all want those things in verse 8. But to experience those things, we must not trust in man, but instead we must trust in God for all of the living of this life. Won't you then repent of your trusting in man and instead ask God to help you to trust him more and more each and every day? Would you bow together in prayer with me, please? Lord, thank you for this passage. Lord, thank you for the reminder of this, even in my own heart. Oh, Lord, the, the rebuke that it is, the chastening that it is. Lord, would you help us? It's so easy to say that we trust in you, but then we live differently than what our, even our confession is. Father, we need your help. Please help us. Lord, if there's one here today who maybe, and even this evening, they think they've been trusting you, but they've actually been trusting you for even their own righteousness, Lord, help them to see that their righteousnesses are as filthy rags and that Christ is their only hope. Would you help them to trust you for the remission of their sins? And then, Lord, for those of us who are your children, Lord, may we act like your children who trust you and look to you and seek your guidance. Lord, we desire to see your blessing upon us. Lord, help us to realize that you are jealous. You don't share your glory with anyone. And so, Lord, help us to not trust ourselves. Help us not to trust our country, our government, our guns, whatever the case may be. Help us to find our trust and rest in you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I've always heard that if God's word is faithfully preached, all people must respond. So I'm going to give you just a few seconds to begin to do business with God. Maybe you've been trusting in your own wisdom to try to figure things out. Maybe you've been trusting in other things in our culture. Take some moments. Let God be back and put God back on the throne room of your heart. Father, continue to work in us and through us using your word. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.